1: With us today, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gourney Institution and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gourney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, Nate Johnson, my fellow producer and graduate assistant. All right, well, today we're going
0: to dive into a famous piece of literature by Robert Nozick The Tale of the Slave. This was written back in 1974. Peter, who's this Nozick guy?
2: Yeah, sure. So Robert Nozick is a relatively famous as far as philosophers go, American philosopher. He uh, did a lot of work on the idea of utilitarianism. He did a lot of work in, in that se- section, but he's probably w- most well known for his work in the philosophy of anarchy and things like that. Justin, would you say that's accurate?
3: How dare you, first of all, for relatively famous as far as philosophers go. (laughs) Uh, As far as philosophers go, he's as famous as you get in the 20th century, right? right. But you're right, though, that is not very famous generally. So relative fame in the philosophy world. And his book, uh, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, is widely considered to be one of the two most important books on political philosophy in the 20th century on the heels of John Rawls, A Theory of Justice. And his book was a response to A Theory of Justice. And Anarchy, State, and Utopia did the most to make libertarian political philosophy and political economy palatable among academics. Mm. There was a wide range of libertarians who were kind of popular in, in like pop culture. People like you know, Ayn Rand or even, you know, like Leonard Reed or people like that, but they weren't taken very seriously by serious academics until Nozick wrote this book. And it is a masterful book. So I would recommend anybody who wants to give it a whirl. It's dense and it is analytic philosophy though. So just to be warned, <laughs> but in this book, there's this very interesting thought experiment called the tale of the slave. I think it's in the two nineties. If you're looking in the, uh, the pages of the book. So it's a fun little thought experiment and I thought we'd just run through it. And we can, I think at the end of it, we could ask ourselves what this is supposed to tell us and also what this might tell us about our current situation. Um, so it starts out by saying, consider the following sequence of cases which, which we shall call the tale of the slave and imagine it is about you. So there are nine different stages we're gonna go through here. Stage one, there is a slave remember, that's you, completely at the mercy of his brutal master's whims. He often is cruelly beaten, called out in the middle of the night, and so on. So just to take a quick break here and insert some commentary, this doesn't seem like it's the best situation for you, right? (laughs) In fact, it seems like a pretty bad situation. Maybe one of the worst situations you could be in, right? Possibly
0: hell, I I would say, might uh, be somewhere in there well (laughs) it's not good right
3: Uh, yeah so stage two the master is kindlier and beats the slave only for stated infractions of his rules not fulfilling the work quota and so on he gives the slave some free time so your situation is still not good right but we're at north korea here or
0: something maybe
3: I don't know. But uh, if if you had to choose between one and two, clearly two is better,
0: right? Yes. Yes.
3: But if you had to choose between, you know, I said you can have your life now or you can have stage two, you would probably think, I think I'm going to stick with now, right? Two sounds still pretty bad. Stage three, the master has a group of slaves and he decides how things are to be allocated among them on nice grounds, taking into account their needs, merit, and so on. We go, oh, well, that's still a little bit better than two.
0: Benevolent dictator stage,
3: maybe. Yeah, and there's going to be a few of those stages. Stage four, the master allows his slaves four days on their land and requires them to work only three days a week on his land. The rest of the time is their own. So now you've got a little bit of time to do things for yourself. Stage five, the master allows his slaves to go off and work in the city or anywhere they wish for wages. He requires only that they send back to him three-sevenths of their wages. He also retains the power to recall them to the plantation if some emergency threatens his land and to raise or lower the three-sevenths amount required to be turned over to him. He further retains the right to restrict the slaves from participating in dangerous activities that threaten his financial return, for example, mountain climbing or cigarette smoking.
0: Yeah, so three-sevenths is around our top marginal rate in the United States for taxes, so that's not too bad, but yet I'm a slave. I'm kind of poor, so that's a relatively high rate, not a very progressive rate. So he's still being pretty strict on us here in in level five. Okay. Level six. The
3: master allows all of his 10,000 slaves, except you, to vote, and the joint decision is made by all of them. There is open discussion and so forth among them, and they have the power to determine to what uses to put whatever percentage of you and their earnings they decide to take, what activities may be legitimately forbidden to you, and so on. So now you are among 10,000 slaves, right? And at least some of the decision-making on what you are allowed to do and how you are ordered around is up to the vote of those 10,000.
0: So since, yeah, since I don't get to vote, it's kind of a select democracy. Like I'm the woman in the start of the United States. I don't get to vote, but I get to be, eh, I have some freedoms.
3: Yeah. So let us
0: take pause in this sequence of cases to
3: take stock. If the master contracts this transfer of power so that he cannot withdraw it. You have a change of master. You now have 10,000 masters instead of just one. Rather, you have one 10,000 headed master. Perhaps the 10,000 will even be kindlier than the benevolent master in case two. Still, they are your master. However, still more can be done. A kindly single master, as in case two, might allow his slaves to speak up and try to persuade him to make a certain decision. The 10,000 headed monster can do this also. So, stage seven. Though still not having the vote yourself, you are at liberty and are given the right to enter into the discussion of the 10,000, to try to persuade them to adopt various policies and to treat you and themselves in a certain way. They then go off to vote and decide upon policies covering the vast range of their powers. So here, you're allowed to try to convince the 10,000 people who will be voting on these rules, etc. You can't vote yourself, but you can try to convince them before they go off to vote.
0: Enter lobbying, (laughs) even though I'm
3: relatively poor. Stage eight. In appreciation of your useful contributions to discussion, the 10,000 allow you to vote if they are deadlocked. They commit themselves to this procedure. After the discussion, you mark your vote on a slip of paper and they go off and vote. In the eventuality that they divide evenly on some issue, for and 5,000 against, they look at your ballot and count it in. This has never happened. They have never yet had the occasion to open your ballot. A single master might also commit himself to letting his slave decide any issue concerning him about which he, the master, was absolutely indifferent. So that's stage eight. and Then we have our final stage, stage nine. They throw your vote in with theirs. If they are exactly tied, your vote carries the issue. Otherwise, it makes no difference to the electoral outcome. So I take it that we all agree, and we did agree earlier, that stage one was pretty bad, right? And it seems like stage nine is about like what we live under right now, right? So the question is, which transition from case one to case nine made it no longer the tale of a slave?
0: Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, I love stage eight uh, thought of the thought experiment. It's kind of highlighting that Rational ignorance is alive and well, that we don't have really any benefit to voting in our personal lives because there's never been a mass election that was decided by one vote. So I love that he highlighted that.
3: Yes. And you might ask yourself what the difference between stage eight and stage nine really is, yeah. right? Yeah, there wouldn't be,
2: right? There, yeah. At least in effect, there's no, like, you could never have an outcome that's different. Yeah, there's, there's a
3: potential. potential. There's practically no difference between stage eight and stage nine, right? right. There isn't, yeah. I'm Your vote saying. counts in exactly the same cases. In the same cases, yeah.
2: So. And would count the same way in every case. So yeah. That they, yeah.
3: So what that actually means is that if you agreed that stage nine accurately describes the situation that we're in, and we also agree that stage eight and stage nine are practically indifferent, then stage eight also describes the stage that we're in, at least practically, right? In terms of.
2: Yeah, so I, I, there's an interesting, like, I I think this is a large part a rhetorical tool It's like, you know, the kind of like the end is sort of like an, oh, well maybe, you know, there's not a good reason to pick a stage, but I pick some stages anyways here, Justin. (laughs) and, And you can tell me why I'm wrong that these stages are no longer to tell the slave. One option is stage six. Master allowing the 10,000 slaves to vote except you. The other option is stage eight. And that's when you're allowed to cast a vote in circumstances where there's a tie. Those are my two possible options here. I'm not saying that either of those are correct, but I think out of all the options on the paper here, those jump out to me as the ones that would make the most sense for someone to claim, well, this is no longer the tale of a slave.
3: Okay, so we have one vote or...
2: He's dividing his votes here and trying to
3: hedge his bets and saying he votes for stage six and stage
2: eight. I think stage six and stage eight are you could have an intellectually consistent argument. I'm in for
0: six, yeah. Any other votes? I think it's stage five. I guess to say why I'm thinking hesitant on five is that you've got the guaranteed amount back on the taxes of three sevenths which I I don't really think that's the the turning point, but he also retains the power to recall them to the plantation. So you can be forced to go back to the land.
3: Uh, Do you have any... So throughout this, yeah, uh, you know, you're gonna st- throw
0: covet on me, and you're like, You're forced to wear no, I'm mask. not gonna throw that, uh, yeah, that's stage 10. Which we get to later, right? Stage 10, you're allowed to vote, but uh, you also have to
2: take a shot. I actually already wrote stage 10, but we can come to that later. Okay. I got i got a couple yeah. other stages here, uh, I'm right. Right but
3: what was I was like, I can't License <laughs> well, oh, six no. with, a, I, yes. with yes, the the power to call them back. Or, yes. or is where I was. So when we were going through this, you kept saying, well, this sounds like North Korea, this sounds yeah. like uh lobbying, etc. Right. Um what do you think the the role, <laughs> the analogous role that calling them back to the plantation describes here? And do you guys have any I guess a
0: call to war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think
3: it's conscription. Okay,
0: right? yeah, yeah, um, uh, that's a good point. Okay. Well,
4: what about our <laughs> Illustrious. I'm gonna go with five when I when I first read it I thought five. I was when the yeah. person stopped, the it stopped being the tale of the slave. Yeah because it's, it's like like slavery is like hard I think number one, you're a slave like that's a, it's a given like it's still the tale of the slave. but when you get to five I think it's no longer the tale of the slave. If okay. We, if we figure out what slavery really is, like brutally beating and being there, I think five mm-hmm. is you can go off to work. you're not really a slave. you can go to the city which like then four, I, I don't know, I keep going up. I'm like, are you really a slave? Like even number two, like, I don't know. He gives some free time. Did slavery really have free time? Can you like leave the plantation? I don't know. What's free time considered a number two? I don't know. I'm just going off. On Thank tangent,
3: you, Nate, but... for 7,000 questions. yeah <laughs> <laughs> And Not with close. that, that looks
0: like a good place for that cliffhanger yeah. for Dr. Clark. Those were good let's let's go to a break and come back with uh, Nate's cliffhanger. We'll be back in just a bit.
4: Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode. So please send your questions to gwartney.institute at gmail.com.
0: We have an awesome high school event coming up December 3rd and 4th. Uh, That's a Friday, Saturday called PPE Fest, uh, where high school minds compete and flourish. We have a couple nationally known speakers, uh, T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education, and Dr. Jim Gortney, uh, our namesake for the Gortney Institute. Uh, The students are going to compete on philosophy, politics, and economics, and just have a short competition and a lot of fun. So if you or somebody else you know might be interested in a high school event like that, please contact Russ, Peter, or Justin today.
4: Don't forget to check our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. All
0: right. So Nate left us with a cliffhanger. Dr. Clark, what is your response?
3: One thing I really liked about Nate's answer was that he said, well, I choose five. But if I choose five, maybe I can like reason myself back to four. And then if I choose four, maybe I can reason myself back to three. Right. And that is exactly kind of the opposite. It's just taking this argument in the other direction. right? Yeah. So just to point that out. That is a situation any serious reader finds himself in when you try to pick one of these. So uh, I just want to point that out. That I thought those were good questions and good arguments to ask yourself whenever you pick one. So, uh, but Luke also had a
1: question. I think you kind of hit it with the fact that they all kind of relate to each other. So like you choose five, and I'm like, oh, I can see myself also choosing four. But back to your question about what I think, I think four has the most ground because of the fact that, you work uh, only three days, and then the rest of your time is yours. And so I think you can do whatever you want with your time at that point. And so I think that would have the most freedom in this. So I think that would be the when the tail of the slave is less. But then I can also see five where you know you work a salary or where. So you, you got some sort of democratic thing going there. Like, yeah.
0: There's seven days in a week. So as long as I have more days to myself than I have to my master,
1: I think I'm more free freedom. than I am to. <laughs> Cause I mean, like I, I work five days out of the week and then I have two days and I think I'm the most free person in the United States of the world. United States of the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if I had if I had four days instead of three, I, that's, that's, that's more free time now than I do. So
3: is the reason you chose four because you have days that are your own or is it because the number of days that are your own, your own are more than the days that aren't your
1: own. Because the days I have are my own, not because they're more, just because I have my own time.
3: Ah, uh, okay. So ma- you might say something like, force seems to be the point at which something like a right is introduced. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And the other ones, it seems completely arbitrary, right? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so A little that- more control um, once you get to more,
3: yeah. For at least there's something that is your own, right? Yeah. Which seems to invoke some kind of property rights, right? But note that when we move to five, the move from four to five, if that's if you pick four, the move to four to five then might seem like it dilutes those rights because they can just be revoked at any time. And we can imagine that the rights, you know, if each step is supposed to be a step towards less and less slavery, then maybe those caveats also apply to four, in which case a right that can be taken away. Yeah, it might not be a right at all. Yeah. But let me just say that I think it's, uh, if we have to draw the line somewhere, at least that's a good way to make a conceptual. And luckily, we never have stage. our rights
0: taken away in the United States. So we've got that going for us. Yeah. Well, would it be, it
3: might be a good place for me to stop and say what I think Nozick's argument is here. Yeah.
0: Well, that sounds good. I agree.
3: All right. So I think Nozick's argument for which transition from case one to case nine made it no longer the tale of the slave. This argument is none. Yeah. None of them. I figured right? that was... You are still a slave yeah. in case nine, right? Yeah. And what Russ just said is, you know, luckily we don't have rights that can be taken away in the United <laughs> States. Russ is being facetious, right? Yeah. Um, and the point I think Nozick would make here, and he makes it in you know, the introduction to anarchy state and utopia, is that what rights are, or side, he calls them side constraints, there are things that a government may not do, not things that a government has permission, has to ask permission to do. These are things, just walls that a that a, a state ought not, not even ought not, may not uh, trespass. And if we don't have those, then on Nozick's view, you're still a slave. You're still a slave in stage nine. Now, what he's not saying is that stage nine is the same as stage one. Right. Right. He is clearly saying, obviously, we'd all rather be in stage nine than stage one. Stage one is really, really bad.
0: Right. But I think that one is he is he saying that we don't know what freedom is then is that does he go that far that since he believes nine is still a version on the gradient of, of being a slave, that we don't know what freedom is.
3: I don't think he's committed to that. He's just committed to saying where we are right now. That's still slavery. If you take him seriously about rights being side constraints, and then I think he would have a, at least a plausible basis on which to tell us what freedom is. And so I don't think he's committed to saying we don't know what freedom is. He is committed to saying we are still slaves here. This slavery is less onerous than uh, the slavery in in one. But the fact that it's it's a softer, you know it's a, it's a more velvet glove doesn't make the fist any less iron.
1: Is this basically his way of explaining, like his argument for anarchy and saying that the government is, in a way, controlling us as kind of like a slave in a sense? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This is an argument that our current government is a kind of slave state, right? And that anarchy would be a much freer system.
0: Freer, but I guess the question would be. Not necessarily better. I mean, is that the trade-offs that we always face is that we take on, we lose some of our freedoms, but we get a little bit more organization, a little more stability. In theory, I'm I'm just throwing that out there. Careful, Russ. You're going to argue us back to one.
2: (laughs) So I, I wanted to maybe argue and not totally against Nozick because I think Nozick in some ways is smarter than me, but I, I want to stretch <laughs> stretch this argument a little bit further even and see like add additional points and steps and see if we can escape with my additional steps or whether Nozick uh, obviously not here with us, but would tell us we've escaped. So I've got a, a step 10 and an 11. It actually might be all one step and I broke it wrongly up into two, but we'll go with it. Now, let's say that the 10,000 other humans are placed, replaced with computers and they're located in your house. The original programmer isn't known and you can examine the code, but can't do anything to change it. And then number 11 is you realize the code is determined by external forces such as nature and all its decisions are determined by nature. In either of those steps, does this stop becoming the tale of the slave? Is this a question for me? It's it's a question Uh, to throw out more generally. I I think what I'm trying to highlight with
0: nature are you trying to bring in God a little bit into this? No, uh, I I
2: just wanted to use nature. I think that there there could be a discussion about the programmer and God in there, but I with with my step about Mm -hmm. nature, what I'm trying to say is, well, what happens if the decisions that are being made by whatever controls you are beyond the intention or will of any person? So
3: would a way to state what you're saying is like what if there are constraints in one through nine and those constraints are being lessened and what nozick seems to be trading on is the fact that those constraints are being imposed by somebody else in one through nine Mm -hmm. suppose we take people out of it and we just replace the locus of the constraints with something that is natural or at least mechanical.
0: Yeah. Algocracy, right? Is it that's still, is it
3: still slavery? Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at is what really changes when you replace the person with the computer. And if the answer is nothing, is gravity slavery? Is, is step 30 on here that you realize that gravity is beyond your control? Uh, is that, it? and so it, to me, it seems like the answer to that is no. In fact, at 10, it seems like the answer is No. Which makes me ask the question: Well, is it not no at five, maybe, or, or some other step? Well, or is it yes always? Maybe, maybe the the alternative is it's always yes, in which case it's kind of no at the same time.
3: Knows so. <laughs> that what you did though is uh, substitute something mechanical or, or natural sure. in those cases, right? And I think Knows it could say, look, whether or not you're a slave. That does depend on the source of uh, the constraint. And if you switch the sources of the constraints, then it is no longer slavery. can't rebel. uh, Rebelling against nature doesn't make sense. You can't Mm -hmm. like, you know, try to rebel against the ocean or whatever, the tides. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So then it would be just as objectionable, right? But it wouldn't be slavery. And you could even take your uh, argumentative method and say, let's just replace the locus of control going all the way back to one with something that's natural or a computer, right? Mm-hmm. And then to be consistent, Nozick would have to say, well, then in one, you're still, you are also free, right? As long as the locus of that control isn't another person or another mind. Yeah. Right? So if- you could be in a situation just as materially bad, but wouldn't be slavery. Does that yeah. mean?
2: Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. And and then my other issue, so that, that was one direction I was thinking, but another direction that I was thinking is, well, let's say that, you know, this computer is made out of organic material instead. And maybe the computer even believes that it's making decisions, but actually it's, you know, has its decisions totally determined by natural forces. Are we at slavery now? Have we moved back to it? To get this, this
3: claim off the ground, we are going to have to have a long discussion about whether or not computers can believe things
2: independently of their actually having <laughs> they, choices. They can, so. if, they can if they're made out of organic material. I really believe that.
0: Sorry, listeners. <laughs> this conversation's gotten real so, deep here, real uh, fast. We've got two brilliant minds. Why and I'm don't just we bookmark? Exactly.
3: <laughs> can I tell you how I would try to explode this? Sure. Um, so this argument, the structure of it, generally, it looks like what's called a sorties argument to me. And the sorties argument is in philosophy, and it's an argument about what is a heap, right? So if you take a heap of sand, and you take away one grain of sand, is it still a heap? And you go, well, yeah, it's still a heap, right? When and does it stop coming, right? And then you go, okay, so the rule is for any grain of sand, if, if for any heap, um, you can take away one grain and it'll still be a heap, right? And if you agree to that, paradox follows because grains of sand or uh, heaps of sand are finite. So if you keep applying this rule, you are going to end up with a single solitary grain of sand and you're going to have to say that that single grain is a heap. And what's even worse, since it's a heap and you can take away one grain from any heap and it will still be a heap, you can <laughs> take away that grain and you'll still have to say what you're left with is a heap and there's not even any sand there, right? Um,
0: Too simple of an equation, I would say. If so it comes down to a minimum or something.
3: If we know that this <laughs> argument seems kind of structured like that, then it starts <laughs> yeah. out by saying, we know this is slavery. And it says, let's take a couple steps away from what makes slavery so bad. And we end up here and we go, well, there's not really, it doesn't seem like there's any principle break for us to say when it is slavery or not. Uh, maybe the way to blow this up is to just say, let's run with it. Let's see if we can take as many more steps as we want. So we let's take 10 and 11 and 12 and all the way up to step 35 or whatever, where, um, you know, you keep granting more and more freedom and we end up, you know, can we end up stepwise with step N such that you are almost We're completely, uh, you know, you, you know, one, every 20 years, you have to, you know, this group of people gets to vote on what you are required to think about for a second of your life every 20 years you know <laughs> are you still a slave then and then it seems like it's kind of ludicrous to say that you're a slave in that case right oh. so if we can acknowledge that this has the structure of a sorority's argument maybe one of the ways you you break this is by saying let's just push it to the full end and then we realize okay well if this argumentative structure doesn't work at step n where we are almost completely free, right? Um, And you you can say like, if you want to call that slavery fine, but it seems like a pretty unobjectionable form of slavery. Um, Then we have to ask ourselves, well, what about step nine? Is step nine and unobjectionable or not? And so that would be, I think, the way to fight this argument and that's where I, that's
0: where I kind of feel like when I said about the heap of sand getting to a minimum where we still consider it a heap, but kind of like what Luke was saying, where we have most of our freedoms. Like there gets to be a point where we've got, and but again, it, people are going to disagree with seventy-five percent of the time. Is I'm free, or eighty percent of the time I'm free, or fifty percent I'm fine with. Or so instead of saying that we're going to get to
3: a point, because mm-hmm. um, then you know some idiot philosopher is going to say, name the point, right? You set a point, right. point it out, right? right? Where's the line? Yeah. Um, and why can... is
2: the
0: line? Yeah. And <laughs> why question. is the line there? Yeah. And that... not? And I would say values are subjective to each person, that there isn't a line. Now, let's not get too far into your objective get, subjective yeah. thing. But, but 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 my point is that each person has a different line. And that's just the way life is. I, I think
3: you're going to run into any trouble when you say people have a line, because then somebody is going to say, well, what about this farther, this farther back from your line? Etc. So when it seems like the clear thing that you might want to say is something like, "It clearly exists on a spectrum."
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. And you can just spectrum, say yeah. that. But if you, you know, gave me discrete one through thirty-five to choose from, somewhere in there, I would find maybe at level twenty, and Luke might say level eighteen. That's my point: is that each one has a different level, and that's and, and you're right. You could push me to thirty-five or thirty point one. And I might say, okay, but if you give me a discrete number of choices, I can find my comfort level in there, How depending on how I value freedom and the trade-offs. Yeah, but I think that it, to not get trapped,
3: right, The I think the thing you want to say is just, it's on a spectrum, uh, one of the, you know, it's going from worse to better. Yeah. And it's going from less, more slavery to
2: less slavery. Does that? So, yes, I, I think... What, what you're saying is, or, or at least one way that I, I could argue from this perspective is the reason that I chose number six when I was thinking about it is I wanted to think about, well, what is an analog to number six? And I think Russ actually brought up a good analog when you were going through the points. It's like, do I believe that women before they had the right to vote were slaves? not in the same sense that, you know, African-Americans were slaves in this country. I, I wouldn't say like in a meaningful sense that those two things are the same concept. There is, again, certainly you don't want to be in the situation of having no votes given the two options, but it's not the same as slavery to me. And so like, when I look at the, that analog and I say to myself, do I believe women in the 1920s were slaves because of their inability to vote? At, at least we'll say that. And my answer is no, that they were in a worse situation but it wasn't the same as slavery. And so to me, like, this is just like, there's a language game going on here, is that, and my argument against Nozick ultimately, I think is that by Nozick's conception of slavery, I actually think you never escaped the slavery. Uh, In fact, I would argue even in anarchy, which maybe is his last points, but with a more, I I don't know, uh, a more open definition of the, or a more settled definition of the term, like, I hate to say it, but like a common sense definition to me, six stops being slavery uh, because I compare it to a you know case one through three, and I say no, nope, that's not the same thing. These are these are different things, and we should have different words for them.
0: So, and Peter, maybe you could comment. I don't mean to hit you off the cuff with this, but um, you talked about with your reading group that you did or your ethics class that there's freedom within the constraints. That actually, true freedom exists within constraints, not the unconstrained life. I don't know if you got something off the top of
2: your head with that. Yeah, so I, I don't know um, applying that to so- social institutions exactly, but I will say a lot of anarchists, I think make a mistake in believing that freedom means living without constraints because I actually think a natural part of our humanity is some of the constraints that we run into. Mm-hmm. And so like the great example that Tim Keller uses, he's arguing for natural law and you know the importance of natural law and natural law being a constraint, he says, well, like in an in extreme example, you know, is a fish free when it's out of the water? Like, d- does the fish escaping the water means it has freedom from the water? And the answer is no. Uh, escaping the water is not something that's beneficial to fish. Even if the fish wanted to be out of the, out of the water, uh, it can enjoy that for the next few minutes while it dies. Uh, there are certain things that, uh, certain constraints that you cannot control. And acting as if you should be free from those constraints is actually something that's damaging to you. Uh, And I think this point is underappreciated by anarchists. I don't know to what extent that applies within social frameworks. That's maybe a different question, uh, but I certainly think that's true.
3: I'm on board with you hundred percent about the idea that we can't escape constraints um, and that a lot of those constraints are imposed by uh, nature, God, whatever, you know, you want to say this as pluralistically as possible um, Mm -hmm. to get everyone on board with it but that some constraints surely are also imposed socially right and um, the question I think that uh, a good anarchist and a good uh, natural law theorist would disagree on is um, what about those social constraints so even an anarchist a good anarchist will agree that some of these constraints are imposed by nature, right? Um, and yeah. even maybe human nature too, right? Yeah. Uh, but the question is, uh, does that give carte blanche to um the kind of social constraints sure. that the natural law theorist wants to impose? Sure, and sure. if not, where where's the line? Right. right? Yeah. Um, so
0: would the would the anarchist um say that? yeah, we want to live in a world with constraints, social constraints, but you always have the option out. So it's like voluntary social constraints. Like you're choosing to be a part of a small faction. It it depends.
2: Uh, Some anarchists would say that, yes, we believe in like voluntary association. Some anarchists would say no, any social constraints are inherently oppressive. Yeah, and unsurprisingly,
3: anarchists tend not to agree with
1: each, with each other. other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a lone wolf. Ruining anarchism <laughs> up there. It um, sounds like he uh Nozak's just describing slavery as any restriction on any freedom. And so you can he can boil this down to slavery in all nine because that's his definition of slavery as any restriction.
2: Imposed by people. Imposed by what, yeah, Yeah, which, social. Yeah, which is the yeah, key. and I think that this
3: is uh what Peter was getting at earlier. This is kind of a, a you know, and this is exactly what you just said and this is what I was talking about when it's like what about step n right? Can we run this all the way out there Is yeah. it still slavery and is it still objectionable in that case? And I think Peter's exactly right to point out like let's just look at step six would most people call this slavery? if not then uh, you know what what's Nozick's definition of slavery right yeah. And if our common sense conception of slavery is that it is somehow also really objectionable, And maybe the question we should ask ask ourselves, given Nozick's definition of, you know, slavery is always and everywhere, the question should be, which step um, makes life intolerably objectionable, right? And how can we live in a state that's, um, you know, less and less objectionable and makes life worth living or whatever? So, I mean, if you take Nozick's argument to its logical extreme, I think you kind of end up. Ironically, with a kind of Habesian principle where, you know, you, if, that? you know, Hobbes says that. Oh, is that what you mean by Habesian or Hobbes? Hobbes. Okay. Thomas Hobbes. Gotcha. Uh, so Hobbes says that any kind of state <clears throat> is better than the state of nature because I mean, the state, the state of nature is so terrible, etc. Brutish and, and short. Yeah, poor, nasty, poor, brutish and short. Right. Uh, and he ends up saying like, you know, uh, we his, you know, you're always going to live under a sovereign, can't get out of this. And so, you know, it's, it's pointless to try. And I think if no, I mean, one way to read Nozick is that you're always going to live in slavery, right? There are only less objectionable forms of slavery. Yeah.
0: Uh, All right. Well, any last final words? Otherwise, that sounded like a pretty good one to me. This has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find our work, and feel free to pass it along to others as well. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.